Courageous, Successful, and Happy isn't a goal. It's not a place to get to. It's a place to come from. I'm Tracy Oswald, and I am the High Achievers Coach, and each week we are going to get real and go deep on what's holding you back, how to face it head on so you can finally live your vision with clarity and confidence. Hey, you guys, how are you? I am so good. Um, I got back from New York City on Saturday, like late in the afternoon. You guys, I had such a good time. It was like a whirlwind trip, right? Um, on I landed, I think it was like around 1.30 on Thursday. By the time I got to my hotel, it was time for me to get ready. Went, um, did that, went down to Chelsea, had dinner with two of my dearest friends, Mr. Chris Snow and Ms. Tanya Cologne. I just love you guys. Um, they're, they're the kind of friends where we can be talking about, you know, the food and the wine we're drinking. In the next second, we're talking about quantum physics. And then like right after that, we're talking about like the Lower East Side of the 1980s. So these are quality people. Um, they, they just both have such a piece of my heart. I love you guys. So we had an amazing dinner at Porteño. And it's this small little... Argentinian gem of a restaurant on right on 27th Street and 10th Avenue. And I always go here before um, before I go see Sleep No More. So after that, where did we go? We went to Sleep No More. Had an incredible time. And after the after the show, they had we stayed in the um in the Manderley bar and they had this really cool um show right after that. It was a lip sync battle, um, which I don't know, I'd never like I've never seen one of these, but they had um Murray Hill as the host, and it was, you guys, uproariously funny. They would pit two people against each other, and the DJ would play a song, and like they didn't know what they were going to be lip syncing until the song started, so you can imagine. So super funny. Wonderful, wonderful night. Um, and then on Friday, the reason I went back to um, New York on Friday night, we went to, I went to Speakeasy Magic, part of the Sleep No More franchise, but not in like the Manderley or the McKittrick. It was in the club car, which is attached to um, the franchise. And I went there with my family, my husband, my girls, and some other family members. And it's this, it was this really intimate magic show where you, you know, we sat at this long table, like I don't know, there was maybe, I don't know, 15 tables in the place. And so we all sat there and the magicians actually come to your table and do magic at your table right in front of you. And it was so incredible. Like we could not believe what we were seeing. And like after the fact, you know, a couple of us were talking and, you know, a few of us were like, oh, I saw that one trick or I saw, I didn't see anything, but you know, like I'm not going to be looking for how they do it because I want to stay in disbelief. Like you, you guys know how I love suspension of disbelief. I want to stay not knowing so I can still feel that wonder and amazement. I don't want, don't want to how, don't want to know how they did it. I just want to experiencing it, experience it. So if you guys ever get the chance to go, Speakeasy Magic, amazing. So, so cool. Um, so today, um, today, today we're going to talk about leaning, leaning into fear. And the reason I'm recording this today, and again, I had something else entirely to talk to you guys about today, but something happened yesterday, which I'll get into a little bit um, later because it will follow the flow of the story. Um, where I had to pivot and have this conversation today because it had such a profound effect on me and sort of my own brain work that I'm going to be doing this week. So 
we're going to be talking about leaning into fear. And to start the moment off, I want to I want to share one of the most profound moments I ever had in Sleep No More. It was my the my second one-on-one experience. So this is probably way back in 2012. And yes, I, I have such recollection of this because I I do write a lot about my experiences, and I've also you know in keynotes that I've done since then. This is one of the pivotal scenes um, that I talk about. So, um, so it's kind of like engraved on my heart, and I you know kind of know it by heart. So that's how I'm able to to share it with you guys in such detail. So it it's um, again, it's one of it's the second one on one experience experience I've had in Sleep No More. And just to ground you guys on what a one-on-one is, it's it's when, when one of the characters invites you into the storyline, into their scene more specifically. And look, it might involve a dance or hearing them tell you a story or, or even going on a mission that they give you to deliver a message to another character. It's this intimate experience with someone where you're no longer this masked ghost, but you're a pivotal part of the story. And sometimes you experience this in a vacuum with the other character in complete um, isolation and privacy. But a lot of times you experience it where you're part of the story and the other attendees of Sleep No More are watching, right? Witnessing this moment with you and having their own version of your one-on-one for them to tell their friends about. So I was on the fourth floor in the McKittrick Hotel, and I walked slowly through this maze of wooden crates, and I can feel the wood chips on the ground crunching under my feet as I walked. There were other hotel guests already inside the speakeasy, sort of wearing their masks like a shroud of, I don't know, invincibility. And important note, this is one of the three speakeasies in the Sleep No More experience. The first one you encounter is when you enter the establishment before you actually enter the McKittrick. There's this one. And and the other one is Hecate's Replica Bar, which is also on the fourth floor. And that's where the rave happens when the three witches deliver the second prophecy to Macbeth, where they tell him that none of woman born shall harm Macbeth. They don't so much say in words as acted out and some crazy bacchanal shit goes down, but that's besides the point. We are now in the speakeasy. And as I enter, there's an old pool table right in the center of the room. And I touch it lightly as I circle it. And the bartender is behind the bar at this point. And his character name actually in the show is speakeasy. That's how people reference him. He's Hecate's familiar in the show. And his loop is really interesting if you ever get a chance to follow him. And some of the speakeasies I've followed have kind of lend their, um, this playful flair to the loop. So if you ever go to the show, speakeasy is a really interesting character to loop. So in this instance, we're in the speakeasy, he's cleaning glasses behind the bar. And I kind of got this feeling that he was expecting someone a rather specific someone to come in at any moment. And and then by magic, she was there. It was one of the three witches in Macbeth, the one they call sexy witch in Sleep No More. And she has this sort of green turquoise dress. 
and they greeted each other as lovers might greet each other. He poured her a drink and they exchanged some really soft, pleasant banter. You you can kind of hear them talking, but you can't make out words, but you can sort of tell with their eyes and their expressions and how they touch each other that they're pretty familiar with each other and they kind of like each other, right? So, and it's funny, there are a couple of, this is a total sidebar to the story, but there are a couple of Sleep No More playlists on Spotify because the music during the entire performance is kind of its own character. It sets the stage for whatever scene you're experiencing. And I, I always try to remember the song in this specific scene. And I, I believe it's one of the songs by the Ink Spots. I think it's Every Night About This Time, but I can kind of never be completely sure when it's the scene's over. I kind of, I get sort of bewitched by it. And I, can't, I can only remember some of the things I see and hear, not all of them. So if anyone listening knows exactly what song plays during this specific scene, I would appreciate you telling me. Um, so reach out and let me know. So getting back to them dancing, look, their dance was so playful and joyful. And you know, he's kind of spinning her around and lifting her up across the bar. And he lifts her up once more and she lands right on the pool table. And she looks up and she looks right into my eyes. And I felt like she saw me. Truly, everything in the room stopped for me. She held out her hand and nodded for me to take it. And I felt two things at the same time in this moment. I was suddenly very aware of all of the other people in masks in the room because they were watching all of this. They were watching us. And I was torn with how I felt deeply connected to this person, this stranger, this magical creature in front of me, how equally thrilling and scary it felt at the same time. And during this time, I was also super aware that everyone in the room was watching this, probably 50 masked strangers watching me feel this moment. And I felt so protected at the time because of the mask I had on. This intimate experience with this character where I was no longer alone, but I was invited into the story itself. And I felt her grip on my hand get tighter and I knew something was up and suddenly we were off running back out of the crates that we I came in through, back, you know, feeling the, the crunching under my feet of the wood chips and very aware that all of the, or most of the, my fellow mask guests were in tow, following us, running behind us. We popped back on onto High Street in Gallo Green on the fourth floor. And it's this long street of shops. And we stopped right in front of Crane's detective agency. She took both of my hands now and she playfully spun me around. Like we were dancing and laughing and smiling. And at some point, I just shed the sense that Anyone was watching this. I was lost in this moment of connection, one soul to another, pure and profound. And she looked up at me, and there was suddenly this scared look in her eyes. She took me by the hand, and we walked slowly through the threshold of Crane's detective agency. And this is where Malcolm spends a lot of his time. And we stood in front of one of the desks just as the phone began to ring. And she looked at me and she kind of nodded her head for me to answer it. And there I was, afraid again, 
My brain was asking me questions in rapid fire. Am I doing this right? I'm sure I'm going to mess this up. I, I don't know how to do things like this. What am I supposed to do? What are the rules here, people? Because I'm not brave enough. And she nodded again. And this time I picked up the receiver. And in this moment, even though I heard my brain telling me all of the things, I'm not brave enough. You're going to mess this up. I acted. In this moment, I acted. I stepped forward and stepped through. And in the moment, in that small choice, in that act, I created a future different from the one I would have had if I believed my thoughts, if I believed that I wasn't brave enough. The course of my life was entirely altered because of that one small but distinct choice to be brave in spite of my fear. And this memory came rushing back to me yesterday when I was at the Dallas Business Podcast Forum. And I was speaking, I was one of, I think, I don't know, four or five speakers, along with people like Julian Placino and Donnie Bovin and Catherine Dollar. And the event was put on by Innovation Calling. And they have this company and they put this event on to help businesses create a branded podcast. And that's why they exist, which is kind of cool. And the funny thing about all of this is that My talk was about the fear that comes up for podcasters in all phases of creation, the fear that holds us back from even starting in the first place, the fear that holds us back from fully showing up, from fully showing up with our content inside of our content, from connecting with guests and from delivering really incredible value. Fear plays such a big part in all of those phases. And I talked about specific ways to identify the untrue thoughts that our brains give us that cause us to have those feelings, right? That cause us to take actions and ultimately produce results. I told them all about the success wall, which, you know, we have talked about on this podcast already. And I taught them about how our brain gives us ideas about our circumstances, how our brain gives us thoughts that cause us to have feelings, that create actions, that ultimately give us our results. And I guess I also learned, right? I learned from the other speakers, from the attendees, from the experience that we co-created together. That's probably my favorite part about speaking, especially when I get to see the other speakers, is learning from them and from the questions that the guests ask the speakers and those answers. I learn all the time and I took so many notes. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of speaking. And I was sitting in the back row next to Donnie B the whole time. And we were sort of chit-chatting throughout the day, getting to know each other, commenting on the experience itself. And he is, and again, I'll link him in the show notes as well. He's a coach. He's a podcaster, a speaker, really, really awesome person. His podcast is called Success Champions. And he does a ton of uh, LinkedIn Lives where he does um, interviews as well. I'll link that in the show notes too. But the profound thing that happened Um, was at the end of the day, and he asked me this really powerful question. um, So what's next for you? And so I kind of told him about, you know, the learning and planning I'm doing at Local IQ around, you know, creating this, our strategy for our brand and for our marketing plan for 2020. I told him about the list of thing, a list of immersive shows I was making that I wanted to see before the year was over because Because specifically, not only do I love experience so much, but because I learned so much about myself and the world 
through them that it helps me be a better person. It helps me be, be a better leader and it helps me a better be a better coach. And I serve my team so much more powerfully. I serve my clients so much more powerfully because of these experiences. I cannot footnote that enough for you guys. I, I feed off this, not just creatively, but from a personal perspective and a professional perspective. And it helps me practice my craft and serve in a much more powerful way because I go experience immersive shows. So what he asked me next was really the more interesting question. He asked me when I was going to create my own immersive experience. Now, number one, with that one question, that's how I knew he is a really powerful coach. That's how I knew he's a badass because he saw through all of my words and bullshit right into my heart. And he kept pressing and I did not like it. And Donnie, and if you're listening, and I hope you do, I want you to know, like when you were saying, like, so when are you going to do it? And here, like, what's your next step? And blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I had no comeback for you. I had no witty thing I was going to say because I, I was at a loss, right? I, I, I didn't know how to answer it because I was fucking terrified. So here's what's important for you to know about that, Donnie. And for the rest of the listeners, for you guys, my listeners, my tribe, my people, here's what's important for you to know. Not only do I know exactly the kind of show I want to do, and I've known for a long time, I am afraid to actually map it out because I think, I don't think it will suck. I think it will be really good. And I am terrified to do it. So I'll tell you a little bit about the show, and I'm, I'm very scared to talk about it because it's like putting your baby out into the world, right? So because you guys know, I'm so heavily influenced by Sleep No More and Macbeth and that story. Not that not that I don't love all of the other storylines in Sleep No More, I do, but Macbeth obviously is the main storyline. That I have done a ton of research on the Macbeth, the you know, the story itself in the play and and I've done a ton of research because of this on Shakespeare, all of his plays and how he ha how he evolved as a writer. But let's get back to the, the story that I want to tell. So this, the show I want to create is called Defending Lady Macbeth. And it's an experience that takes you through an alternate ending of Macbeth where the Macbeths don't die and Lady Macbeth get, actually gets put on trial for orchestrating the death of King Duncan, the murder of King Duncan. And the show starts with the beginning of her trial. And through the show, we learn about her life and what it must have been like for her as a really smart, badass woman in Scotland in the early 1000s, right? Think about it. I think the show was set in like 1047. This woman who has incredible ambition, incredible intelligence, and no outlet at all to practice either because of the time she lived in. It was a really violent time for everyone, not just for women, but for life in general, when death by disease or murder or violence was extremely commonplace. Like this was not, this was a real fear that people had. Not like we fear, oh, I'm gonna get murdered by a serial killer like any day because you know, we're, we have anxieties about this. Like they could walk out of their house or wherever and literally get murdered by anyone for whatever reason. And, you know, antibiotics didn't exist, so you could get a disease and people died all the time. So violence and death was 
so much more commonplace. And for women, women had zero agency. And you guys, you know, we just, the last episode where I talked about agency and how important it is to me in the work that I do in the world, women had no agency. They had no rights, really. They had no place other than the place that their husbands gave them or allowed them or their place, the, the place that their family allowed them. And so she was this really smart woman. She understood very clearly that to secure her in, in the construct of her life, you know, she they were at court. He was, you know, a thane, um, you know, in in the court in King Duncan's court, uh, a soldier, but also a thane. And to secure her family's place at court and maybe their very lives and future, with the political climate as it was, she believed extreme measures had to be taken. And she was also a woman that knew her husband didn't have it in him to do this. He didn't have the metal ability, guts, whatever it was, to make this happen. I want to tell the story about what life was like for her, her thoughts, her hopes, her dreams, and maybe even have us understand what drove her to take the action she took. And side note, and this is kind of important inside the story, um, Shakespeare had this incredible evolution in the way he wrote women's characters that you can clearly see develop in his plays when you study them chronologically. And he he gave women and he came to give women a voice and agency when it was not socially acceptable or politically safe to do that. And at the beginning, he had to hide it inside comedy, right? Like um, The Taming of the Shrew or um, A Comedy of Errors or, um, you know, all of the comedies that he wrote. Um, there are women characters who kind of fumble and bumble their way through come out at the end by quote, air quotes chance where they they kind of solve the mystery or reveal the big you know um reveal and it's that it's because they have masqueraded as a man that they were able to do this that was the only way shakespeare could politically allow them to be the protagonist in the story um when he and as he evolved he in his dramas, he had to, at the sort of at the end of his career, when he was writing things like, you know, like Macbeth, like King Lear, like Coriolanus, where women were um, super badass. They were actually stronger than the men. They had full-out naked ambition without apology. And he had, the only way he could give this, give this to them, or give this to us, because I feel like he did it for women in general— he had to make them die at the end because that was the only socially and politically acceptable way he could tell that story. And, you know, at the time, you know, early in his career when Queen Elizabeth would co literally commission his shows and come to his shows and later um, King James would, you know, consume his shows, they wouldn't be, they would be like, yo, Will, you can't have a show like this where a woman is, you know, fully in her rights um, as a person equal to a man without something horrible befalling her because, you know, then women, we get this idea that it was okay. And, and politically and sociologically at that time, it was not, you know, that was the construct that women lived in. So even though he had to write in their death or demise, I just love William Shakespeare for that, for, for being so 
so smart and so fucking ahead of his time and brave to risk his reputation and life at the time. And because he knew he was so smart that people wouldn't, the common folk, even the nobility, the kings and queens, wouldn't be able to see what he was doing. And and for me, I hope that Queen Elizabeth at, at that time saw it because she was such a badass in and of herself that I hope she saw it and kind of knew everyone else wouldn't be able to see it. But that's, you know, I can't go back in time. It, my version of her, she knew what he was doing. So in the experience that I want to create in this immersive theater experience, I want to show all sides of Lady Macbeth. I want to show her love for her husband and her country, her desires as a woman and a person, the complexity of her character, the depth of her character, her her naked ambition, her aggression, and most of all, her agency and how she invokes it to create her future for herself, her family, and her country. And you guys, I'm really scared to do it because my brain tells me You have no right to create an immersive theater show. You're not a trained theater person. You are an amateur hack. No one's going to take you seriously. This story is not going to resonate with people. Look, Tracy, you're going to start it and never actually go through with it because that's what you do all the time. Or you're going to create it, spend all this time, money, and energy, and effort, and no one's going to show up. No one's going to come. And even if they do come, they're going to write horrible reviews and you'll probably close like after the first show. That's what I hear. So for all of you who are at this podcast conference just yesterday at the Dallas Business Podcast Forum, I hope you're listening. For all of you yesterday that shared your fears about creating your own podcast, I feel exactly the same way about what I just described to you. We are all humans in this together. And as we stretch and as we grow and as we experience things, our humanness lives on. We still feel the fear, you guys, but it doesn't mean anything about us unless we decide to stay stuck in it. And that's why why I hate books and coaches and programs who promise to teach you how to banish your fears and overcome your fears forever and all this bullshit because it's not true. There's no way that can possibly be true. Because once we get comfortable, like right now, I'm not afraid of podcasting, but I am fucking terrified to step into this next version of me to actually create this immersive theater experience for people. As we continue to grow, as we continue to expand and practice and and up-level our own agency, we have to keep confronting our fears. And to be totally okay fearing, I'm not telling anyone, don't feel afraid. I want you to feel afraid. I want to feel afraid because that's how I know where to go next, right? Sit with my fear. I need to name it. I need to sidle up to it, to expose it to myself. And the way I do that, unfortunately for you guys, is talking about it, right? But I know that you resonate with this, guys. I'm not hiding behind my fear. I'm telling you, there's a thing that I really want to do that I didn't realize I was hiding from until, Donnie, you asked me that question. And not just asked me the first question, but kept asking me the next questions until I'm like, yeah, just fucking Donnie, stop asking me the questions because I don't have a really good answer and I hate you right now, right? But it, but it, 
sparked this episode that I hope not only will help me, but will help all of you guys asking. All of you guys that were at the Dallas Business Podcast Forum yesterday who are afraid to to start your own podcast or afraid to really show up with your content or afraid to really allow yourself to dig in with your guests and stop scripting all your all your episodes. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I am actually, this time, I'm going to assign myself some brain work this week instead of you guys. I'm actually going to outline Defending Lady Macbeth, this immersive experience. Mind you, I have zero fucking idea how to do this. I I did not go to school for theater. I have no clue how to outline a show. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And yes, I promise I will report back to you on it. So it leaves me with this question. I ask you, what's next for you? What do you want to dig into this week? What have you been avoiding, fearing, dancing around? What, what has me kind of laying it all out there, raw and exposed for you this week? What has that brought up for you where you're like, oh shit. Yeah, Tracy, I know this is the thing for me. Like I, that, I know exactly what you're talking about. What would it look like for you to dig into that this week? Do it with me. Don't let me do it alone. I'm still going to do it. And if no one wants to do it with me, I'm going to do it alone. But what have you been avoiding? What could you lean into? How can you lean into your fear? Sit down next to it. Name it. Talk to it. Engage with it. Feel it. And still do the thing anyway. You guys, connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, leave a review, rating, review of the podcast. You know, that it matters to me. But I want to talk about this with you. Message me on LinkedIn. If something I said resonated with you, I would love to hop on a call. I would love to hear what you're going to do or how this helped you or how this pissed you off, how this episode pissed you off and maybe even got you into action. And you're like, damn it, now I have to do the thing. Now I have to explore that thing. Because we are all in this together. You are a mirror for me. Life is a mirror for all of us. Let's be in it together, help each other, because that's the only way forward for any of us. I love you guys. You know I'll be back here next week, and I would love to hear... I'm serious. Message me on LinkedIn. Let's talk. I would love to hop on a Zoom video call and hear all about what you're doing. I love you guys. We'll be back here next week. Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Courageous, Successful, and Happy. It's not a place to get to. It is a place to come from. Listen, if you love what you're hearing, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so appreciated. And I will talk to you guys next week.